Welcome to the Royal College of Psychiatrists podcast. I'm Liam, a social media officer and digital producer at the college, and I'm excited to introduce this fantastic episode, which we recorded to coincide with Mental Health Awareness Week. During Mental Health Awareness Week, the college is raising awareness of the challenges people with serious mental illnesses, or SMIs, face. And in this discussion, we're talking to a rehabilitation psychiatrist. As mental health awareness continues to grow, rehabilitation psychiatry plays a crucial role in helping individuals with serious mental illnesses to achieve their full potential and lead fulfilling lives. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Katie Fergus, an expert in rehabilitation psychiatry with a wealth of experience in this field. So without further ado, let us begin. Hi Katie, and welcome to the podcast. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and the setting you work in? Yeah, thanks Liam. Um, so I'm Dr. Katie Fergus. Um, I work as a consultant rehabilitation psychiatrist in Cardiff and Vale University Health Board in, in Wales. Um, as a, a rehabilitation psychiatrist, I work with people with some of the most severe and enduring conditions that we encounter in psychiatry, um, primarily people with complex psychosis. So this tends to be people who developed a psychotic illness um, and that their symptoms just just haven't responded to what we think of as conventional treatment. Um, they continue to experience symptoms such as hallucinations, so you know, classically hearing voices, which tend to be quite, quite negative or derogatory or, or giving commands, um, delusions, so sort of fixed false beliefs that are you know usually described as being paranoid or ideas of being persecuted, you know, being being followed, being under surveillance, people meaning them harm. Um, disorganized thinking, beliefs about their thoughts being interfered with or, you know, broadcast to others. And, you know, these can be really distressing symptoms and directly influence someone's decision-making processes and significantly interfere with a person's ability to, to complete just, you know, normal, normal daily activities, you know, just imagine how hard it must be to to get on a bus or walk around a supermarket or a town centre if you're convinced that you're at extreme risk from from everybody around you or or you know how hard it is to concentrate on holding a conversation when you've got another voice or voices that you can can hear at the same time um you know i remember doing a teaching session when i was a trainee um in which we were asked to to concentrate on um someone reading a passage from a book while somebody else stood kind of just behind us and and talked in our ear um and you know when we were asked questions about the passage from the book no one could no one could answer any of the questions because we'd been so distracted you know that's that's what life is like for some people with those kind of hallucinations you know it's hard um then i guess in, in addition to those symptoms which are what people i guess classically think of as psychosis um we also see what's called the negative syndrome so this is a collection of, of symptoms including things like lack of energy lack of motivation difficulty initiating action lack of emotion and 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 those problems they're often the the harder things to deal with you know they can make doing what most people think of as the the simplest of tasks like having a shower or getting dressed or you know, making food for yourself or something to it can make it just feel impossibly hard. Um, and I, these combinations of, of challenges can just result in enormous levels of, of disability. 
Um, and, you know, typically these conditions usually first hit people when they're still quite early in their adult life. You know, it's often late adolescence or the early, early 20s. You know, sometimes before many of the life skills that lots of us take for granted, you know, cooking, managing our money, managing our emotions, maintaining friendships and relationships, you know, they haven't been learned yet or developed. So, you know, people are starting from a very, a very tricky point. Um, the evidence suggests that somewhere between sort of a quarter, a third of people who experience a psychotic episode never have another one and are able just to, to get back on with their, their lives. Um, it's thought then that probably around, and you know, there's, there's various numbers quoted out there, but they're generally around uh, about another 25% go on to have further episodes of psychosis, but but maintain a reasonable level of functioning or or perhaps just require a little bit of um, ongoing support. But we know that around 15% of, um, 15 to perhaps 25% of those who experience psychosis find that their symptoms just never go away, despite the, the standard battery of, of medications, psychological therapies, social interventions. Um, and these... These individuals often have you know, multiple or lengthy admissions to hospital, um, sometimes for at least part of it under the Mental Health Act. They lose touch with their networks, their their hobbies, their, their lives outside of a hospital environment and, and become isolated and, and I guess what's, what's often referred to as institutionalised. Um, alternatively, these people live extremely difficult lives in the community, isolated from their, their friends and family, retreating from their usual activities and not leaving the house, not coming to the attention of health or social care, but but living a very impoverished existence for a very long time. Um, you know, Lots of them will experience additional psychiatric conditions alongside the psych psychosis, as, as well as a whole range of problems with their, their physical health, which they struggle to get proper support with. These are the people that, that rehabilitation psychiatry services are, are for, um, you know, and it, we're talking here about a condition that, that isn't that common. You know, schizophrenia is specifically thought to affect fewer than one in a hundred people in their lifetime. So then saying that of that very small population, we as a, as a specialist service are only going to look at around 50 to 20% of them. Um, you can see it's a sort of it's a very low volume but, but very high need group. You know, one might might question the need for an entire specialist service to be dedicated to such a small group of people. Um, and sadly, I think that exact logic has been applied at times when finances are tight and and demands are you know elsewhere and services are stretched and has ultimately led to the the loss of a lot of these services with I think really catastrophic results for people with complex psychosis. Um, so severe and enduring schizophrenia or, or complex psychosis as it's now often referred to. It's one of the leading causes of disability and, and burden of disease in the world, um, despite affecting such a small number of people. And I mean, that that should in itself tell you something about the, the severity of the condition at its worst and the, the value to society as well as to the individual of uh, providing effective rehabilitative care. Um, I mean, increasingly, rehabilitation services are actually shifting towards being known as rehabilitation and, and recovery services, and that's certainly how we kind of badge ourselves here in, in Cardiff. 
Um, I think many people are familiar with the concept of rehabilitation, you know, being a, a sort of a set of measures aimed at reducing levels of disability um, through kind of relearning or adapting skills that have been lost um, and, and enabling people to um, get back involved in society. The concept of recovery is perhaps slightly less well understood. Um, this aims to support an individual to live well with their symptoms, you know, minimizing them as, as minimizing the symptoms as, as far as is possible, but not putting an emphasis on a on, on a mission to completely eradicate the symptoms. You know, we're not looking for for cure. You know, we're teaching people effective ways to manage the experience of perhaps hearing voices or to challenge some of their unusual thoughts or work around their perhaps disorganized patterns of thinking so that the symptoms have, have less of an impact on, on their life. Um, but crucially within the, the recovery focus, um, within the recovery approach, the, the focus is on enabling each individual to set and work towards goals that are meaningful to them and that enable them to live a life that's personally fulfilling and enjoyable. You know, accepting that often this may look very different to the life that they envisaged for themselves before the start of their illness. You know, often people who experience psychosis assume that they will then immediately and automatically not be capable of things like college, university, work, relationships, marriage, parenting. Um, and sadly, society, and to, to some extent, healthcare professionals tend to reinforce that message. You know, we, we, we worry about people getting stressed or experiencing failure. So we say, you shouldn't do that. You know, it, it, it might be too, it might be too difficult. We don't want you becoming unwell, you know, very, very well-meaning perhaps, but, but ultimately depriving the individual of the kind of everyday things that, that all adults should have the option of striving for. Um, and you can see then, I guess, why so many people develop a sense of hopelessness and helplessness after the onset of psychosis. Recovery services aim to break down those myths, to, to instill hope in individuals and their families and support networks, and to enable people to achieve the, the goals that they choose for themselves based on you know, their, own, their own desires, their own priorities. So it's kind of recovery of a life that we're talking about, not necessarily recovery from illness, which might be what we first think of when we, we think about the word recovery in the context of health. Um, my role as a rehabilitation psychiatrist is to, to manage the medical components of that recovery um, and to lead the, the multidisciplinary team to work collaboratively, collaboratively with, with each individual patient and their families or support networks to really try and empower them to, to take back control of their life and make it what, what they want it to be. So why did you choose rehabilitation psychiatry and what do you find most rewarding about it? I kind of realised quite early on in my medical career that the, the part of the, the job of a doctor that I really enjoyed was, was getting to know the patients really well and trying to understand how their illnesses affect their lives. Um, you know, a huge part of um, your task as a doctor is to assess, examine, arrive at a diagnosis, identify the best treatment. Um, and I, I found it too difficult to ignore the person underneath all that stuff. 
you know, that sense of it, it isn't just something that's happening to a body or a set of organs. It's it's happening to a, a whole person who has roles and hopes and dreams that, that may well be profoundly altered by the outcome of your poking, prodding, labeling, treating. You know, it's part of what drew me to psychiatry as a specialty in the, the first place. Um, you know, sadly, the, the workload pressures on doctors these days make it really difficult to spend the kind of time that you might like to with your patients. And there's a, a real danger of the, um, the, the conveyor belt approach becoming the only way to get through the, the sheer volume of work. Um, I, I distinctly remember getting told off in one of my foundation year jobs um, in one of the surgical specialties for wasting time talking to the patients in, instead of getting my long list of jobs done. And um, yeah, that never really sat well with me. Um, so I guess in psychiatry, I found a world in which in order to be effective, you have to dig that a little bit deeper into the lives of the people that you work with to develop that deeper understanding of their their past and their present. Um, but even within this specialty, the demands on the service are such that it can be it can be difficult to see your patients as as often or for as long as you ideally would. You know, I look at the work that my my general adult colleagues do in the community mental health teams and on the acute treatment wards. Um, the the amount that they have to get through. I, I'm in awe of the number of patients that they're managing on their caseloads. The the enormity of the decisions that they're making day in day out based on, you know, sometimes perhaps less information than, than they might want in an ideal world. I guess it, it comes down to whether you can be satisfied that you'd have the information that you need um, versus perhaps striving for as much information as you can have, you know, and I, I'm much more comfortable with the, the latter of those two situations. You know, I really don't think I could do acute work again. You know, I like, I like detail and data and I guess I've, I've always been something of a, a kind of a, a, a long game type. Um, so I was lucky enough during my, my training, during my, my registrar years to get a chance to do a post in rehabilitation psychiatry. And I, I very quickly realized that it was the, the place for me, you know, it really satisfied my need to, to thoroughly explore people's lives with them, to help them to understand their experiences and to to think about what their future could be like if they dared themselves to imagine and, and believe in it. It offers me the opportunity to work really intensively with people for a prolonged period of time, to get to know about the, the best and the worst of their experiences, to to understand and appreciate their values, you know, their hopes, their dreams, many of which have been unnecessarily abandoned following the, the development of, of their illness. Um, by the time people get to a rehabilitation and recovery service, they've been unwell for a really long time. You know, sometimes, sometimes they'll have spent many, many years in hospital. You have had people coming to me having spent over a decade in hospital and, and they've, they've sometimes hardly given up on life ever being any different. Um, and often others have given up on them too, you know, families, friends, sometimes even healthcare professionals. Um, I guess I've always being drawn to the underdog to some extent, but but for me, there's something about working with the the most disadvantaged of the disadvantaged, the the most vulnerable, the most in need. There's something about that that really appeals to me. Um, so to have the opportunity to work alongside people like this, 
day in, day out, and show them that a different future is possible. Is it's a real privilege. Um, and you know, my role is is often to hold hope for these people until they rediscover some of that hope for themselves. Um, I don't get me wrong; it's it's hard work. I think unpicking the worst things that have happened to people, um, seeing them enduring symptoms that that can often be described as as tormenting or at times even torturing them. It requires a certain level of, of resilience and, and skill in managing one's own emotions. Um, and the work takes time. You know, it's often years of working with someone in order to see your mutual hard work coming to fruition. Um, but when it does, you know, when you see someone getting back to college, starting voluntary work or paid employment, reconnecting with with family or friends or picking up old hobbies or, well, you know, even just remaining at home rather than being in hospital and, and seeing them happy, redeveloping a sense of identity and self-worth that they've been robbed of by their psychosis. It's a really powerful thing and, and deeply satisfying and, and rewarding to have been a, a part of. Um, you know, I think the job teaches you to to really appreciate and celebrate the small wins as as well as the big step forwards you know it can really help you to to gain a perspective on on what's important in life can you speak to the importance of repairing relationships and re-establishing social skills during the rehabilitation process um yeah i mean one of the one of the many cruelties of of severe and enduring mental health conditions is that is the the toll they can take on relationships, you know, particularly in complex psychosis. Um, family members and friends can can become exhausted by the demands of, of supporting someone with this type of illness. And sadly, but perhaps understandably, you often drift away. Um, I think on top of that, family members in particular are often caught up in people's delusions and and may well be viewed with suspicion or anger by the individual experiencing the, the psychosis. Um, you know, some family members may well experience aggression as a result of this, you know, which further alienates the individual from their, their loved ones and, and support network. Um, like contrary to, to popular belief, people with schizophrenia or complex psychotic conditions are, are not usually violent or dangerous. Um, despite how they are often portrayed. I mean, in, indeed, they're, they're, they're more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than the, the perpetrator. Um, but I guess it would be disingenuous to claim, to, to claim that um, violence never happens. And it's a, a difficult truth that, that much of this aggression, when it does happen, is directed towards family members. And that, that can be really difficult to come back from, you know, for both the family members and for the individual themselves when they you know reach a point in their recovery where they they realize how they've how they've treated their loved ones you know that can bring with it new barriers you know through guilt or shame or embarrassment and and there's a, a huge amount to work on there you know I'm often really struck by how many of the patients I work with spend years on my wards without ever being visited by a family member you know, by, by how many times we try to explore who they might like to have involved in their care only to to hear them say that there isn't anyone. You know, the, the, the 
depths of the isolation can be heartbreaking at times. Um, similarly, I guess seeing family members coming to the ward, attending ward rounds and meetings and, and desperately trying to understand what is happening to their loved one, you know, trying to make sense of this bizarre set of circumstances or beliefs that, that surround someone that they're that looks so different to the person they they knew. I mean, that can be a really difficult thing to witness. Um, on the flip side, I guess seeing someone reconnecting with friends and family is a really joyous thing and and something that's actively and and you know creatively encouraged during people's time working with us. Um, it can be a really rewarding area to see progress in um, watching people come back together and growing in their their shared understanding of their their illness and experiences. Um, I'm currently training in the open dialogue approach, which is a a particular approach to uh, care and treatment um, that has has yielded really really good results for people with psychosis in Finland and increasingly across other parts of the world. Um, this looks really specifically at working with individuals within their support networks and is, is something that I'm really excited about using more in in my own place of work. Um, yeah, the, the, the nature of the illnesses that that I tend to deal with, um, you know, with, with paranoia and ideas of persecution often being prominent features, um, the high incidence of adverse life events, you know, often people have histories of various forms of abuse in both childhood and adulthood and you know the experience of stigmatizing and prejudicial attitudes by society can it can make it really really hard for people with severe and enduring psychotic conditions to trust people and form relationships but you know in general as humans we're social creatures you know we're not designed to live an isolated existence and loneliness can be a, a huge problem for the people that i work with um, the work that we do to enable people just to feel comfortable in the presence of others, to to relearn how to initiate, develop, maintain relationships, you know, whether those are friendships, relationships with family or romantic relationships, it, it's a it's a crucial part of most people's recovery. Um and I guess you know, I I I frequently thoroughly enjoy conversing with my patients, you know, not not about anything clinical, but about everyday things. It's one of my best conversations with my patients. So when we're, we're not talking about their illness or their their life or anything, and we're just talking about current affairs, sports, movies, music. One of the old conversations that I might have with my colleagues, friends, family, you know, normal everyday stuff. And I, I think that people sometimes forget that people with psychosis are still very capable of engaging in really good conversation if if only you take the you take the time to find the right topic um and i think that's where getting to know them comes in you know, finding out their likes um their strengths of which there are usually many more than people think and encouraging them to to make use of those strengths can be really empowering you know we've had people on the ward who are really talented musicians who have entertained the wards with their their songs and musics and got got sing-alongs going we've had artists who taught other people how to draw, um, people putting together quizzes on using their areas of interest. Um, we had a DJ once who brought a Dex in and just got everybody up dancing. You know, the value of this social activity and the, the connectivity with, with staff and 
appears that results from from that kind of stuff is is immeasurable. And I've seen some some fabulous examples of kind of mutually supportive friendships developing within the wards. You know, that peer-to-peer support can be so powerful in inspiring both parties to to take steps forward in their their journey through a rehabilitation program. You know, sometimes they can probably do more for each other than we can do for them. You know, and that that resource of the the expert by lived experience is something that needs to be respected and and nurtured by services. You know, I I view peer support workers, peer mentors as as essential members of a a recovery focused multidisciplinary team and you know, I'd really love to see more attention paid to that resource and see it supported, invested, and, and invested in properly. Because, um, you know, this the, the social reconnection that that can stem from it is is you know at the heart of of the ability to be properly socially included. So, moving on from patients now to the wider public, do you think people know enough? about people with schizophrenia and understand enough about psychosis? Um, sadly not. Um, no. I think it's a it's a horribly misunderstood condition that that has you know, so much myth associated with it that it's really difficult to kind of dispel the the negative connotations that pop up when when the words psychosis or schizophrenia mentioned um you know i think even within healthcare settings psychosis is very poorly understood and people with enduring complex psychotic disorders fall victim to assumptions and prejudice and and suffer as, as a result and i mean that you know that's within that's within healthcare professionals you know when i was at medical school we were taught that people with schizophrenia lived on average 10 years fewer than the the, the average life expectancy um in the past 20 years or so that that gap has widened further you know with with 20 years less than average now being the the often quoted statistic um you know and i can't think of many if any conditions in which the prognosis in terms of life expectancy has worsened and and you never you never hear of it outside of psychiatric circles you know where's the Where's the moral outrage about it? You know, my suspicion is that if this was any other condition, there would be uproar and, you know, calls for reviews and policy change and investment. But I think the misunderstanding of psychosis probably makes people really reticent to 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 delve too deeply into the problem. You know, we know that the majority of the excess deaths in the population with complex psychosis occur from from what's referred to as natural illness, you know, heart attacks, for example. Um, you know, people with chronic psychosis, they find it really hard to navigate the the healthcare sim- system. And, you know, essentially they, they miss out on many of the strategies and interventions that are, that are widely available to, to maintain population health. You know, le- levels of take-up of screening programs, for example, are, are very low. Um, within this this population, you know, attendance within primary care settings for chronic disease monitoring, you know, diabetes, asthma, making sure that they're well managed is poor. You know, responding to letters from hospital, traveling to outpatient clinics, tolerating a busy waiting room, communicating with a doctor can 
still be overwhelming barriers to people getting their their health problems addressed. Um, and even just recognizing acute physical health problems can be can be troublesome for them. And then navigating the system to to book a GP appointment can be can be near impossible. Um, I guess I've got onto this because you know, disappointingly, I have more examples than I I care to mention of situations in which my patients have been I've felt actively discriminated against by clinicians in other specialties being offered less than gold standard care for, for no other reason than people being worried about someone psycho with psychosis being being on one of their wards or in their in their clinic um you know there is still that level of fear or I don't know what it is um, but there is still a, a lot of work to be done to make sure that this doesn't continue. And I guess it's a, a key message that I try to instill in the medical students, you know, the doctors of tomorrow, when they're on psychiatric placements, that, you know, these are these are people who have the same needs as the rest of the population and, and no reason to not have the same access. Um, and I guess that also goes for, for thinking about all, all of the other agencies that are our, our patients you know, might have reason to have contact with the social services, housing, DWP, police, probation, employers. You know, these people can all play a vital role in supporting someone's recovery. You know, and having an awareness of and a, a sensitivity to the the particular needs of people who experience psychosis psychosis could make a a huge difference in that person's experience of those services and and result in in better outcomes for all um think thinking more uh, then about the the general public which i think is what you actually asked about um i suspect the understanding of, of psychosis is is pretty low um but that's that's not perhaps surprising given that it's it's very rarely talked about you know mental health has been a a hot topic for some time now with numerous celebrities or sports people other high profile individuals talking about mental health, perhaps talking about their own mental health problems and, and advocating for greater awareness about suicide, depression, bipolar disorder, OCD, autism, you know. And this is great, you know, it's it's a good thing. Um, breaking down the stigma that surrounds mental health problems and has surrounded them for too long um, and ensuring that people feel able to 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 speak up about their the symptoms and and to have places where they can go for support. It's a really welcome development and and one that I absolutely wholeheartedly obviously support um to prevent countless people suffering unnecessarily. Um, but psychosis is is noticeably absent from these discussions and and still seems to be something of a a taboo subject. And I think, you know, sadly, one of the, the inadvertent consequences of a, a giant spotlight being shone on some parts of mental illness and, and you know, mental health and well-being, um, and, and these have tended to be the kind of conditions that, that we could all relate to, you know, depression, anxiety, you know, that, that spotlight being shone on them has, has kind of served to shove complex psychosis kind of even further back into the the deepest, darkest corner here, back into the depth, you know, a, a quick search through mental health related podcasts or articles, you know, reveals hundreds, thousands of, of things on depression, anxiety, autism, 
Um, and you know, and I, as I, said, I, I don't mean to diminish the importance and relevance of um, of discussing those conditions because they cause a lot of suffering for a lot of people. But but where's psychosis? You know, where is the discussion, the the analysis, or the exploration of of you know one of the most disabling conditions um, in Western society and 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 globally? And until people start talking about it and learning about it, the myths that have, uh, that have been perpetuated since the condition was first described will, will continue to make individuals feel sort of ostracized, people who experience symptoms of psychosis and, and impair their ability and willingness to, to seek help. Um, I think that as a, as a society, we need to see change. You know, imagine how hard it, it is to work so hard to overcome so many challenges to social inclusion only to discover that the, the very society that you're trying to include yourself in doesn't want you you know fears you mocks you sees you as less than somehow and that sadly is the experience of too many of the people that i work with you know i think that as a as a society if we wish to judge ourselves by how we treat our most vulnerable our most in need members, then we could do a lot worse than to look at our collective attitude towards people with psychosis, you know, to show them a little more kindness, a little more compassion, to not rush to judgments or assumptions about their their intellectual capabilities or their moral character or, or the risk that you think that they might pose. Um, but instead, I guess, to see them as a, a, a person, you know, a person who has an illness just like you or I could get. You know, a person who, despite that illness and the significant challenges it can bring, can can still offer a lot to society, you know, could live a, a meaningful, peaceful, contributing life, you know, if we just made a, a few adjustments and gave them a chance. As someone working on the front line, is there anything else that can be done to draw attention to it? You know, is there going to be a campaign? Is it more conversations? What, what, what do you think? Um, I would, I would really love for there to be more conversation, um, about, about complex psychosis, about schizophrenia, you know, whatever, whatever you want to, to call it. We need more conversation. We need, we need that spotlight to shift to that population for a while, you know, um, it's a subject that, that very rarely comes up in, in sort of political situations. Um, there is, it doesn't tend to feature very highly in um, policy, um, you know, strategic work that goes on within government. Certainly, you know, I, I'd previously worked as the lead for policy and public affairs for the, for the Royal College of Psychiatrists in Wales. And I was actively involved in, um, discussions with Welsh government in in a range of forums and you know in the three or four years that I did that role I, I'm not sure that I heard them talk about psychosis once in all the meetings that I went to um so I think definitely some PR work you know some some something to to shift the, the narrative away from the negative um to to get people recognizing it as an illness like any other and to to recognize that this does not um spell the end for people and that there is 
hope and that these people have value and that they can contribute to to society you know i think working with um employers uh people who can offer opportunities to to people with um mental health problems and, and psychosis in particular um you know that that could be immense that can be transformative for some people that opportunity to to have the the support to return to structured meaningful activity that that gives you a place it gives you something to get out of bed for a place to go something to hang your week around uh you know that's so valuable to to all of us you know it, it grounds us so much of our sense of identity or self-esteem self-worth is is wrapped up in those kind of roles and yeah the absence of, of that from from someone's life can be really destructive you know these are the things that give us meaning and purpose and the opportunity to experience a sense of mastery and and, and pleasure you know all of which are protective factors for good mental health um you know i look at the i look at the work that um you know, some employers like um timson's has has done with a a population who have historically been seen as difficult to employ you know and i guess i i, I try to hold on to some hope that that one day a combination of policy work government or political will um and perhaps big employers might just might get behind offering something similar for people with complex psychosis um because it you know it has so much so much to offer um but but that kind of change is only going to come from from awareness from conversation from education about the condition and from from starting to do the the difficult work of breaking down the the myths and stigma that have been allowed to to develop yeah so following on for that i suppose has the portrayal of schizophrenia in the media had a really negative impact on the way it's perceived and treated? You know, I'm thinking of films like The Joker, the way you see it on TV. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, sadly, the the, the media is where most people are, are going to get their information about psychosis. And, and sadly, as you say, portrayals of, of mental illness in general, but psychosis in particular, have have historically been quite unhelpful. You know, I think this is, it's something that that has changed more recently. And I think more sensitivity is starting to be shown towards how mental health problems are, are presented. Um, but we're still a long way off this translating to a, a genuine shift in, in attitude or acceptance, um, particularly when it comes to conditions like like psychosis and schizophrenia. You know, the the, the myths of dangerousness perpetuated by sensationalist reporting in the news or a, a need for drama on TV or at the cinema. You know, they persist and they continue to present a barrier to people with psychosis seeking help and, and achieving inclusion. Um, and it isn't even just portrayals of psychosis itself. You know, I'm regularly dismayed by the, the language that's used in the media to describe any kind of unwanted or unusual behavior as psychotic you know you, you see someone becoming angry or aggressive or smashing something up in a film or on on tv and it's highly likely that another character will subsequently refer to them as 
going psychotic. You know, and, and this kind of misuse of language, misuse of a specific medical term can do can do untold harms, you know, as as can the, the tendency to blame people for the development of of these kind of conditions. Um you know, I think we we search for meaning or explanation when people do terrible things that we don't understand. And I think I think as a you know, as humans I think it's easier for us to to collectively make the assumption that when people behave in a way that we don't like or we don't understand, that we just we jump to the conclusion that they must have a mental health problem because that I don't know maybe it makes us feel safer, makes us feel less threatened in our own identities rather than accepting that that some people just do bad things. I think I think the the psychosis or schizophrenia or even just a, a very generic mental health label um serves a purpose for us rather than for the individual um and i guess even if they're not being thought of as as, as dangerous people you know people with psychosis are are portrayed as sort of incompetent or helpless with with no prospects which is a, a world away from the from the truth um you know, we see real progress in how the achievements of people with Physical disabilities are, are respected and celebrated when, when once they were looked on as people who need looking after. Um, I, I guess I can only hope that at, at some point the same will happen for those whose whose disabilities arise from from mental rather than physical health causes. Well, Katie, thank you for joining me today. It's been a really insightful conversation and a pleasure to speak to you. So, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Liam.